Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to all those of you who are joining us to New Song Family Church. We sure wish we could be face-to-face, but praise God for technology that gets us together. This Father's Day, uh, I'm drawn to uh, this idea of what really makes a father happy. We throw that term out on this day always, Happy Father's Day, but what really makes a father happy? My son, my youngest son, turned 30 years old yesterday, and uh, I am looking at my life and thinking, good grief, I must be old to have a 30-year-old son. This day, though, I'm reminded of a story that happened many, many years ago uh, when my son, my 30-year-old, was four years old. Uh, We were living in Rundu, and uh, we loaded up our car with our whole family of eight. And uh, I'm just trying to recall those days when we had that many in our house. Uh, I miss those days. Loaded up our car, and we went to the Mahongo Game Reserve uh, for a day and a picnic. if you know Mahongo Game Reserve, it's known for uh, uh, just uh, a beautiful river, the Kavango River, elephants, hippos, and crocodiles. And um, there's a spot deep in the park uh, where you can pull over and have a picnic, uh, set some chairs out, and enjoy each other. For some reason, we were fine in that environment of crocodiles, hippos, and elephants unloading uh, all of our children, a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 15-year-old, and uh, just letting them enjoy themselves without any direction uh, around crocodiles, hippos, and elephants. I'm not sure what we were thinking. So uh, I I went off and examined the croc slides and then began to set up our food for the picnic, uh, hoping that we would not be the food for the picnic. Uh, I would occasionally do a child count just to see where all my kids were. And it was one of those counts that I noticed that my four-year-old, Chad, had vanished. And uh, I I was sure at that moment that my son had been eaten by a crocodile. Uh, The panic, I can't describe the panic, and I can't describe to you the search that ensued. I started running trying and screaming his name, trying to find that child. After after way too long, and it's felt like forever, uh, we found our son, Chad, sitting in our car with all the doors closed, He had discovered his mother's purse, uh, which he knew had a stash of gum. And he had snuck into the car while we were all out doing our thing, closed the doors, dug into the purse, pulled out gum, and started chewing it to his heart's content. Wow, what joy, what relief it was to see that gum-smacking boy. Where I would have usually, you know, punished him for, you know, eating too much gum, chewing too much gum, I, I just, oh gosh, I was just so relieved, full of comfort that, oh, my son's alive. We had a great day. What makes a father happy? When someone who is lost is actually found. Uh, and and this, is, this, is our, this is our God the Father's heart. Uh, God's heart is filled with love for the down and out, the hurting, the lost, the fatherless. He urgently, he urgently looks for the lost, overwhelmed with his love for them, free of judgment, to find us and save us. Unfortunately, all of us have a certain degree 
of, of questioning God's love for us. We don't really understand that kind of love for us. There's, there's no way uh, for a lot of us that we could really believe that God would love us. If God knew everything we had done, uh, how could this God truly love us? That's, that's one of our pitfalls, one of our roadblocks to actually receiving His love is that we just can't imagine anyone loving someone, knowing what we've done, knowing ourselves, knowing all the problems that we have. We just can't imagine that anyone could still love us. It's, you know, and, and probably because we've never been loved in this way. Uh, we've been rejected by many who know what we've done and don't want to be around us anymore. Or possibly we struggle with uh, a God who would actually forgive someone who was, you know, more evil than we are. Uh, we, we have these kind of uh, scales that we rate. And, uh, you know, we struggle with a God who maybe could forgive a, a murderer or a, a rapist uh, or a thief. A lot of us want God to punish the wicked, and we struggle with anyone that would tolerate evil. What kind of father would tolerate an evil person? Or maybe it's a little simpler for us. We just can't imagine why God would do anything for someone who had actually hurt us. We can't imagine God favoring the person who had injured us or hurt us in some way. It might feel like betrayal, that somehow if God would love this person, then he's betraying me. If you love him, then surely you don't love me. How could you love him and reject me? I'm a better person than that other person. It was for this reason, this kind of frustration with understanding God's love, is for this reason that Jesus was criticized most of his life while he was on earth. He was criticized from religious, self-righteous, rule-following, racist of his day. This is how Dr. Luke uh, wrote uh, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 15. He says this. He talks about how tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus' teaching. And this is where Jesus spent his time was with those kinds of people. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The problem that the Pharisees had often with Jesus was not that he was loving people, was that he, the kind of people he was actually loving and spending time with. This is a very interesting aspect, and Jesus was consistently and constantly criticized for this. Luke, Luke 15 is a story, three stories, where Jesus, after being criticized by these folks, uh, tells three stories about something that was lost, and then was found, trying to, in some way, express to these religious racists, uh, this is the character of the Father. This is how the Father loves. This is the nature of what it means to be a lover. He tells the story, first, of a man who has at least a hundred sheep. He loses one. He says, what? What man who owns a hundred sheep, if he loses one, won't abandon the 99 and go find the one sheep? And when he finds it, joyfully puts the, uh, the lamb over his shoulder and calls his friends and says, let's celebrate. Uh, I have found my sheep. And he says, Luke 15, verse 7, Jesus makes the point after each story. He says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Happy Father's Day. What makes the Father happy is when something that is found 
something that is lost is actually found. It talks about how there's this joy in heaven. There's a celebration uh, when something that's been lost is found. It tells the story of a lady who's, who has 10 silver coins, and she loses one of the silver coins. And as though the Pharisees would understand this, he says, won't, won't if she loses the one, don't you know she will light a lamp and sweep her entire house and search carefully until she finds it? This lady's going to do whatever it takes to find that one coin of the ten. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What makes Jesus happy? What makes our Father happy is when something that's been lost is found. Happy Father's Day. Oh, man. Jesus is most happy, most full of joy when what's been lost is found. What father who thinks his son has possibly been eaten by crocodiles will not ignore his other children and do whatever it takes to find them? That's what love does. Love looks for the lost. If those two stories aren't enough to make the point, <laughs> Jesus launched into a third story about a father who had two sons. One son came to his father and asked for his inheritance. And so the, this father divided up his inheritance among his children, and the one son, the bad son, went off to a distant land and wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, uh, there was a great famine. Uh, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him as uh, uh, to feed his pigs. We're told in this story that the young man became so hungry that he was even envious of what the pigs were eating. So this son, who spent squandered his money, taking his father's his inheritance early before his father died, he's taking his inheritance, he spent money on on wild wild living. Um, we see later that he spent money on himself and on prostitutes and all kinds of uh, bad behavior, decides that he actually had a better life when he was with, at his dad's house. And so he decides to come back and says, maybe I can make a case for my father that he'll at least hire me on as maybe one of his servants because I'd be better off being a servant than I am right now feeding these pigs. Jesus tells a story that this child came home and that the father saw him at a distance and he ran to him and embraced him. We're told that the father is filled with love and compassion and embraces his child. And then he has a party for this returned son. Kills the fattened calf, gets a, his, the most precious, beautiful robe and covers him with it and celebrates the fact that his son, who was lost, and as Jesus puts it later in the story, he says, uh, let's celebrate because this son was dead and now he's alive. This is the love of a father. The love of a father is overwhelmed with love and is not uh, destroyed by judgment. It's important as we look at these three stories, uh, a part that came before these stories where Jesus is telling him that love is costly. If we look at the character of the Father heart of God, 
we see that yes, love love doesn't miss the one. Uh, love love is overwhelmed with with compassion instead of judgment, but love is also costly. The preamble to this, the preamble to the criticism of the Pharisees towards him was Jesus making the case that love will cost you something. True love is costly. Luke 14, he talks about it. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. There's this idea that before you would actually launch into love, you need to actually count the cost. True love is sacrificial. True love, as we see in the story of the father to his son, his, uh, his father gave away the inheritance early, gave it to his child, costly. There's, there's a cost um, when we see the lady who's sweeping and looking. There's, there, there's these costs that are part of love. We can put it into categories. Love is costly in terms of your time. True love will take time. It'll take time from something you want to do instead of what you're doing. Uh, true love is uncomfortable very often. It's, it's looking in difficult places. It's getting on your knees. It's getting into dirty places. It's costly. It, it could be costly in terms of your, your reputation. Jesus is being criticized because of who he's hanging out with. He's getting a bad reputation because of the people he's hanging out with. There's possibly a cost of money. Sacrificial giving, that's part of true love. Also, too, there's a sacrifice in that uh, those who love actually may be uh, ignoring others that are precious to them. Maybe leaving people that they love and going to people that don't know them yet. Uh, uh, searching and looking for the lost. That kind of love means that sometimes you would leave the people that you're most comfortable with, your family, and going to a place uh, of people who don't know you. There, there is a cost involved in true love. And this is what Jesus is saying here. The preamble of these three stories is that, that there is a cost. And we must see this, these stories in light of what it costs to actually love. There, there's a cost. And Jesus is saying this is a cost that's worth paying. But count it before you get into it. Count it. I would imagine that in this day where we're seeing so many of our loved ones who are struggling with COVID, uh, some, some people have died. Uh, I would imagine that, that many of you will be called, many of us will be called to actually uh, potentially risk our own lives in order to care for those that we love. Uh, there is a cost associated with love. And we're seeing this in a very practical way right now in this country, where very often you are being asked, uh, because of love, to help someone, uh, even at the risk of your own life. Love is costly. But this kind of love that Jesus is talking about misses no one. This kind of love uh, sees everyone. Uh, in other words, this kind of love doesn't uh, see the group at the expense of the individual. This is such a unique thing. If I think about it in terms of my own children, uh, the question that I can ask myself is this, what child would I be willing to, to, to forfeit uh, for the sake of our family? Or if I'm thinking of this in like in a business language, what child would I fire so that my family could be successful? 
uh, as I look at my kids and their, their, their husbands and wives and their children, there's not a single one of them that I would ever want to sacrifice for the sake of the whole. The, the kind of love we're talking about here, God's love is one that misses no one. Uh, we're used to business practices and principles today that would be the total opposite of that. We would uh, look for the bottom financial line instead of uh, the advancement of the individual. We're used to, to business models, and maybe your family was like that. Maybe you, you were part of a family where you're uh, you felt like that your parents did everything for themselves instead of for you. That you felt like maybe your life was at the expense of their life. And, and maybe this is your experience in your own family. I don't know. But it's not a model that represents the Father's kind of love. God the Father's love never misses the one. The heart of this kind of love says that if every individual is loved, then the whole group will succeed. That's a different kind of love than we're used to in this world. And that's what we're invited to. Jesus says, what shepherd would not leave 99 sheep to find one sheep? What woman who lost, who has 10 silver coins and loses one will not sweep his house to find the one? What father will not welcome even the worst child? I love the... Uh, I love business models that, that show this in practice. You know, we think maybe the best way to do business is to, is to, to work for the bottom line. What, how much money are we making instead of the, the culture and the people that are in our group? Um, Simon Sinek writes in his book, uh, Leaders Eat Last, he tells a story of Charlie Kim, who's the CEO of a, com a tech company called Next Jump. And, uh, when they were experiencing very difficult times, the economy was really, really tough, uh, Charlie Kim made a decision uh, to invest in his people instead of the bottom line. And they have a principle at Next Jump that is still alive today, this, uh, that uh, there was lifetime employment. In other words, that no one would be fired. And so they decided to invest in the individual um, and invest in their future instead of the bottom line. Lifetime employment. So instead of working to fire people or to, to clean off 30% of your, your, work, your work field to save money and to advance the, the bottom line financially, they invested in each employee. Charlie Kim asked this question, uh, what child should I fire? And so he decided, let's invest our time and energy and strategies to actually develop our workers. So in a company that, that typically had averaged like a 25% uh, average revenue growth uh, every year, once they started investing in their people, their figures jumped up to 60% average revenue each year. Their, their turnover rate, their turnover rate of employees dropped down to 1%. They kept their employees longer because they invested in the individual. This kind of love is not just a great model for your family, it's also a good business model. You invest in the people instead of the bottom line, and then the bottom line will follow. Jesus' kind of love, the kind of love that we see modeled in Scripture, is this love that values the individual. And once the, once the individual feels safe and comforted, then uh, in the group, then that group is stronger. Individual, investment, 
always benefits the group. Love values the one. Love always values the one. And love overwhelms any kind of judgment we would have over the one. When we're seeing the one who's not thriving, when we see the one who's not making it, love actually fills us instead of judgment for that individual. And this is what we see in these stories. We see that, that, that the father, instead of being totally, totally consumed with judgment over his son, he was filled with love. Love overwhelmed any kind of judgment. This is a different way of operating than we're used to. We typically look at our children and others in our life and we, and we see them for, for what's standing in front of us instead of what is still coming, who they can be. Uh, we don't see their potential, we just see the problem in front of us. Jesus' love, the Father's heart, sees the potential instead of the problem. This Father who says, listen, the Son who comes to him and says, I've sinned, I'm not worthy to be even called your Son, says, the Father says, listen, we don't have time for that. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. You're back. This is the love of the Father. When his other son, who, who hasn't sinned like the one son, says to him, listen, I've never behaved like this, brother, and why are you having a big party for him? The father says, listen, we had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He was more excited about finding the repentant than the non-repentant self-righteous. Jesus is delighted to receive and welcome the one who returns. And the whole context of the New Testament, when you look at the character of Jesus, Jesus over and over again was reminding people, listen, I came to look for lost people, not the righteous, not the self-righteous. I came to find lost people and to save them. I came for them. He wept over Jerusalem at the self-righteous who refused to accept him. He loved even the self-righteous, the racist. He loved them and had a plan to change their life. Matthew eleven nineteen, the tax collector who had been transformed by Jesus wrote this. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And, and they say, here's a glutton and here's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. A wise person, a loving person actually loves the down and out, the downtrodden. Jesus, the love of the Father is for the down and out, the hurting, the homeless, the fatherless. And he came with a plan with them. He came not with judgment. He came filled, so filled with love that there was no place whatsoever for judgment. That's the kind of love. It, it, True love leaves absolutely no room for judgment. How do I size up a person when I, when I see these stories, when I see the love of the father to his returning son, his, his jerk of a son, his immoral son, and he embraces him and receives him? How do I size up a person when I look at, at others, when I look at my son, my children, my daughter? How do I size them? Do I see their sin? Do, when I look at someone, do I see their sin or do I see who they could be if they knew Jesus? That's the question we have to ask. As a father, do I see my children's failures? Or do I see their not yet? In other words, do I see 
they're just not there yet. Do I see what they could be, their potential? Or do I, do I fix them into they're just a problem? I could be left with just saying he's a self-absorbed jerk. Or possibly he's just not discovered who he can be yet. Our job as parents is to see what could be if this person knew Jesus, if this person were transformed by him. We can't afford ever to limit ourselves and be stuck with the problem that's standing in front of us. We have to continually, the love of God says that I've got to see your potential, not the problem standing in front of me. How do I see the world? How do I see my colleagues? Do I love them or do they bother me? Do I see what they could be or who they are right now in front of me? This is a radical kind of love that we're being invited to. It's, it's, I'm so happy that you're safe, Chad. I'm not really bothered that you're chewing your mother's gum. And then all the extreme cases of whatever your child has done or whatever it is that people that you work with, your family and friends, whatever they've done, you must see them in light of what Christ can do in their life. That's the Father's love. We're asked by Jesus to count the cost and actually live out sacrificial kind of love. We're asked to notice everyone, not to miss the one. We're asked to be filled with love as we see the one instead of judgment. Happy Father's Day by understanding what really makes our fathers happy, what really makes our father happy. Lord, fill me with your kind of love. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you've loved us perfectly. Lord, the, the perfect father. Lord, we thank you that you sacrificed everything so that we would be with you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't see us in our sins, but you saw us forgiven. You saw us transformed. You saw us with you as new people. And Lord, we give you praise for that. Lord, thank you that finding us gives you joy. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.